Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. I hope you enjoy this. I'm going to talk about tough truths. That is a really hard word for me to say, actually, because I often get my THs and my Fs confused. So tough truths. Truths? Right, okay, you get it. You get it, because the episode will be named this, so don't worry about it. You'll be able to read it. Uh, firstly thank you all so much for continuing to share the podcast I know you guys are probably getting bored of doing that but I massively appreciate it and it is the best way that you can support the podcast so thank you again and please do keep sharing and tagging me and telling me what your take-home points were or giving me a little bit of feedback that would be excellent right so I wanted to do this podcast because I for some reason these just started coming into my head and I was like "Mm, this is a great podcast topic but none of them are really long enough to do a full topic on so they'll be like short sharp points that are probably not going to be related to each other and that's kind of how my brain works so here goes so the first one is that the weekend is 42.9% of your week if you're going from Friday to Sunday. So if you want more results, you need to, at the very least, account for the weekend. And I would suggest if you're serious about the results, it doesn't have to be fat loss, but just in general, serious about getting results in whatever you're pursuing, you should utilise the weekend and not just see it as dead time in which you don't work towards your goals. So this isn't just for physical results, but it can be especially true with fat loss. It's where a lot of people go wrong and by all means eat more on the weekend, have a little bit of flexibility. I actually encourage saving some calories for the weekend. Now, don't run away with that. You know, don't pause the podcast here and just think, okay, Emma says save your calories for the weekend. That means I'm going to eat 1200 calories during the week and then binge eat all weekend. And then wonder why I feel like shit. I'm hangry as hell in the week and I'm not getting results. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is saving some calories for the weekend, like maybe no more than 20% of your total calories, probably more like 10, like a couple of hundred calories at most a day, means that you can have that little bit more flexibility on the weekend and you can enjoy a meal out when we're allowed to or some different foods or a bit of a treat or a takeaway something like that that's what I mean not massive over restriction and then massive over indulgence and what I don't want people to do is just almost forget about the weekend because what I see some people do and it's frustrating because they work so hard putting in so much effort during the week and then completely undo the deficit that they've worked so hard all week to create by overeating on the weekend. So don't fall into that trap because a lot of people fall into that trap. And if you are growing business, for example, my two go-to examples are always business and fat loss. I mean, (laughs) probably because of who I am. But if you're trying to grow business, and you're still stuck in this like nine to five, Monday to Friday mentality, 
you're probably going to want to utilise the weekend. And again, this is up to you. I'm not telling anyone what to do here. I'm just giving what I think is going to be quite useful advice. You have to decide based on your values. Now, I'm in a very different position than someone who has three kids and a husband or a wife to keep happy and a mortgage to pay and all these other responsibilities and quite a, what's the right word? Demanding life outside of business. Like I can put, I can be quite selfish with my time because no one is relying on me aside from clients and obviously that kind of is business. So it completely depends on where you're at and what your current values are and what the cost benefit is to you. By the way, if you've not already listened to episode 180 on making the best decisions using the cost benefit principle, then go back and listen to that, obviously after this podcast. God, look, I'm a professional now. I'm a professional podcaster now. It's only taken me 201 episodes to be like, "Mm, just go back and listen to this episode. It's episode blah, blah, blah. But yeah, if you want to know more about the cost-benefit equation and how to make excellent decisions that you will not regret because regret is a horrible feeling, then go back and listen to that podcast. But before I move on from this first tip, which is about utilising the weekend, I just want to say I actually quite enjoy working on the weekend as... I mean, part of it's like "Mm, getting a head start on people that don't work on the weekend. But part of it's just, it's more like it, it still feels different. And I find that I get to work more on my business rather than in my business. It's very hard to work both. When you're during the week and you're working in your business, it's hard to get perspective to work on your business. So I sometimes find the weekend is quite useful for that. And people expect less of you in terms of like your colleagues or your clients, etc. Tough truth number two. You are not in a deficit if you're not losing fat. A lot of people will say that they are in a deficit, but they're not losing fat. And the definition of not losing fat is not being in a deficit. Or put in another way, you will lose fat if you're in an energy deficit because it's your body's energy store. And if you're creating an energy deficit, your body's gonna be forced to use its stored energy for fuel, i.e. body fat. Now, that doesn't mean you're gonna lose weight So we know that the scales alone are not a good indication of fat loss. And honestly, usually the reason you're not losing weight is because, well, you are in a deficit, but you're unrealistic with your expectations of how quickly you can expect to see results. And then you change too many things and then it becomes like an adherence problem And then that's why you're not getting results. So it's, oh, I've been in a deficit or like, let's say I've been on 1800 calories for, I don't know, six days. You're like, I've not seen any results yet. So I'm going to drop them to 1500. A few days later, I've still not seen as much results as I'd want. So I'm going to drop them again. And then it's like, it's unsustainable. And then you end up overeating and then you don't get results. Whereas if you'd just been a little bit more patient, you would have got results. 
So before you assume that you need to change anything, be consistent for a bare minimum of two weeks. Three would be better, but a bare minimum of two weeks. And when I say consistent, I mean consistent. C-O-N-S. Do you know what? Consistent. Very important. And instead of just focusing on your weight, it's also important to take measurements, progress photos, use a combination of these things to measure your progress, not just relying on the scales because that is so inaccurate. We actually had a really impressive transformation on the EC method this week and the woman has lost no weight and looks so different. And in fact, that is the most impressive thing. I know people find it frustrating but it's so impressive because it means that quite clearly right in front of our eyes she has lost body fat and built muscle simultaneously because the scales have stayed the same and she looks so different so do bear that in mind the other thing that i think is massively underappreciated is the use of performance to measure progress and so when you're looking at improved body composition using strength to body weight ratio is so underrated and i think should be utilized more this is a great marker of progress uh, in my opinion anyway and what i mean by strength to body weight ratio is how much you can lift in comparison to your body weight or so you could do that like my squat in comparison to my body weight or my bench press in comparison to my body weight or you know any exercise really Or you can use an exercise like pull-ups where you're actually pulling up your body weight. Now, if you can't do pull-up, fine, do banded pull-ups. The same principle applies. It doesn't have to be a full pull-up. But there is nobody, nobody whose body composition is getting worse while their ability to do pull-ups is getting better. Never seen it. In all my years, never seen it. Like, it's almost impossible to happen. Tough truth, numero, numero, Mm, I'll just say number, number three, nobody is going to do it for you, you have to parent yourself, I'm sure all of my clients are like, you say this all the time, I know, I just, for some reason it really resonates with me about parenting yourself, because it kind of takes you out of your own headspace, and it's like, okay, well what would you do for your child in this situation? And sometimes this can seem a little bit hard, like no one's coming to help you, you have to do it. But it's a fact of life. You have to parent yourself. You wouldn't let your kid eat crap and laze around all day watching Netflix. Why? Because you want what's best for them. And by the same merit, you should also want what's best for you. You have to take care of yourself first. So even if you're thinking of this from a selfless perspective if you take care of yourself you are a better you for everyone around you before you can take care of others you have to take care of yourself you can't pour from an empty cup as they say and it's not selfish in fact it's very much selfless you will be a nicer person to be around being happy is contagious, being positive is contagious, a happy mum, and the reason I say mum is because 
often the people who struggle most with this are mums because they care more about looking after everybody else than, and then they have no time left to look after themselves. But a happy mum is worth more than a shattered mum who's easily irritable and it doesn't have the concentration span even to play with their kids because they're so stressed about everything else. If you'd taken the time out to take care of yourself first, you will be such, you'll be a much more fun mum to be around and have such a more positive impact on everyone around you, including your kids. I cannot emphasise how important it is to be happy within yourself first because the impact on your whole life in general and every single relationship that you have friends, family, work, romantic, all of them, anyone you come into contact with will benefit from that. Tough truth number four. You don't need to eat more to lose weight, but also you do. You do need to eat more to lose weight, but only because you are setting yourself up for failure by setting a ridiculously low target and then over-restricting and then the normal and somewhat inevitable human response to over-restriction is over-indulgence. Now, although you might need to increase your calories, you do need to create a deficit to lose body fat. There's no getting around that really. The reason that I would suggest that you increase your calories if you're on very low calories is so that you eat less, which I know might seem less like, sorry, it might seem like it doesn't make any sense. And we just went over this in episode 200. But if you eat more, you will end up eating less on average over time. So I know it seems odd, But if you eat more and thus you don't binge eat or you don't have these huge variations where you over restrict and then you overindulge, on average, you will eat less. And it's your energy balance on average over time that dictates your energy stores. And that means your fat stores. So that's what we need to worry about is your averages over time. And People get so fixated on a daily calorie number when that really doesn't, it's not what matters. It's just an easy way for us to mentally break up the day. Like most of us work on this sort of 24 hour clock or we fit it into a week. Like even a weekly average is quite arbitrary. Really, you probably want to look at on, on average over the month, am I in a deficit? But that becomes too big and it becomes less manageable. Like if I gave my clients their monthly calorie target. I wonder what that would be. Hold on. Okay, I'm back and I went and used a calculator and I did 1600 calories times 30 days for a month, 48,000 calories. There you go. If I was just like, or if I did it for six weeks and was like at the start of Commit to Six, here's your calories for the whole six weeks. I feel like people would struggle to break that down into bite size Uh into like manageable chunks that fit into their life that's why we break things down and I guess that's why like society as a whole we have days and weeks because it helps to run 
businesses and society and economics and all these things so that's why we don't do that but really what would matter is if you could create a deficit over the month or over a long enough period of time that you're going to force your body into using its own energy stores and thus body fat number five you are the common denominator and that means if everyone is around you is you've noticed everyone's a bit of an asshole or everyone seems really negative all of the time consider that it might be you that is bringing that out in others because if you're noticing it in everyone else you're the common theme here you're the one that's always here and I always say this but positivity is contagious but so is negativity and I actually think negativity is even more contagious you know when you just meet someone who's always negative and you just feel negative after being around them and the same is true when you meet someone who's always positive and you leave them and you're absolutely buzzing but just a consideration if if you feel like everyone around you is bringing you down could actually be you projecting on them and then them projecting back on you and you are the common denominator in all of your interactions so if you're experiencing a lot of problems in a lot of areas of your life and a lot of relationships the problem could be you and if you're having a lot of arguments it's likely you that's causing them but the good news about that is you can change so if you notice that is you and you are negative you can choose to change that number six your perfectionism is holding you back and allowing you to procrastinate or to give up again I did a full podcast episode on this which I think was a really useful one mainly because it I mean, it was useful to me. It's just a lot of the things that I've figured out about myself and my own tendencies and what I've seen in a lot of clients. And I have an amazingly unique opportunity to work with so many people and observe so many people's behaviours that I've become quite good at reading people and knowing how they're going to respond to certain situations and seeing traits that trip people up and one of them probably one of the most common ones is this perfectionism mindset and it's the mindset that you need to be perfect and ironically it's often what stops you starting at all and it's certainly what makes you give up when there's even a small deviation from the plan or deviation from what you think would be perfect And what's even more ridiculous about this is there isn't a perfect diet. And if we've learned anything, anything, see I told you I struggle with the F and the TH, anything from nutritional research or even just like observation among your friends, you'll have a friend who's like, I've done low carb and it's changed my life. It's the best thing I've ever done. I would never eat carbs again. You know, they're going to kill you. And I've lost so much weight doing it. And you'll have someone who does Slimming World and and thinks it's the best thing in the world and they've got amazing results doing it. But you'll also have friends who have tried both those things and it hasn't worked for them. And maybe they like calorie calculating or maybe they haven't found what works for them yet. The point is there isn't a perfect diet and there isn't a one size fits all and you've got to find what works for you. And even if you just look 
around the globe. Like, people eat in such different ways, different cultures, different foods. It's weird that we look for this, like, one-size-fits-all or this quote-unquote perfect diet, because there quite clearly isn't one. And a typical example of this perfectionist mindset tripping you up is eating just slightly over your calories and then thinking there's absolutely no point in sticking to anything now I may as well just eat massively over my calories because I've gone over by a little bit and it's this whole like tick box thing like, oh, I can't tick off today to be perfect so it may as well be really really bad or knowing that you're not going to hit your magic 10,000 step barrier and thus making no effort whatsoever to get any steps in. But realizing that it's your average effort that matters and instilling this imperfect action mantra is your answer here. Like always remind yourself, have me in your head been like, imperfect action, Julie, remember. If anyone listening is called Julie, you're so welcome. You don't need to be anywhere near perfect to get results you just need to be consistently moving in the right direction rather than completely on or completely off I've said it before and I'll say it again success comes from mundane actions completed daily which brings me on to my next tough truth and that is that there isn't a secret that you haven't found there isn't a perfect diet, there isn't an easier way to do this, there isn't a quick fix, or there isn't a quick fix that isn't just going to result in you being back to square one within a couple of weeks after finishing it. There isn't a secret, you're just impatient. Like, this is the way to do it, we kind of know how to do it now. The real trick is getting you to stick to it for long enough to see results. And then when you start to see results, that snowball starts rolling and starts building momentum and you stay motivated because you want to see more results. But the the main problem is your perfectionist mindset and the fact you're impatient and the fact that you want results now and that you're not willing to wait for that delayed reward. But if you do wait for that delayed reward, damn, it's sweet. It's a sweet cherry pie. It's not a cherry pie, but it's sweet. Okay, this will be... Am I going to make this the last one? I have quite a lot of these. So if this is popular, and I've no idea if this is going to be popular or not, so you better let me know. But if if it is, I'll keep going with these tough truths because I have a lot of them. But if it's not, then I won't do it again. Okay, I'm going to make this the final one. You are comparing yourself to the exception, not the rule. And this is largely due to survivorship bias. And survivorship bias is the fact that we usually only hear about the successful endeavours. So we hear about the underdogs that made it, like the Beatles, Amazon, but not the thousands of other bands that didn't make it that year or the millions of other businesses that failed. 95% of startups fail and millions of kids 
don't make the NBA or don't make it to professional football level. But yet we only hear about the tiny percentage that do. And we love an underdog story. Oh, he came from nothing and everyone said he was too small to play football. And now look at him. He's the greatest footballer in the world. We love those stories. I'm not saying I don't. Like, I love those stories as well. But we need to check our biases. That is the, like, perfect example of survivorship bias. Because you never hear about the ones that didn't make it survivorship bias is the reason that we should stop looking to successful people for advice because they may very well have got there despite their actions not because of them and there will certainly be a huge element of luck although another bias that we have is that we like to think things are all down to hard work and things that we can control as opposed to just luck Like, no one's like, oh, it's lucky that, I don't know, the Beatles were born when they were, or they met a certain manager, or I actually don't know the backstory to the Beatles, but a lot of it's luck. Like, if it had been another year, if they hadn't met certain people, if they hadn't written a certain song, if someone hadn't had a heartbreak that resulted in a certain song, like, so much luck has to come together as well. And you could argue that you would learn more from studying the 95% of startups that fail than you would from studying Amazon, which was hugely lucky. You can learn from failed diets and failed businesses ideas, business ideas and the people who didn't make it. But we're much more likely to study the habits of someone who's successful and then try and emulate what they've done than we are to observe those who haven't made it and why they haven't made it and how we could potentially avoid those pitfalls. We're very quick to say, oh, it's great to learn from your mistakes and others' mistakes, like you learn more from your failures than your successes. That's such a common thing to say and such a commonly held belief is that you learn more from your failures than you do from your successes but yet no one's studying someone else's failures we're always looking at the most successful people and trying to learn from them now of course I'm not one to create a false dichotomy I think it's useful and important to learn from both but weirdly what you tend to find even when you interview someone who's massively successful is they'll just talk about their failures they'll talk about the things that went wrong and how they learned from them and got it right the next time so i guess in some ways you are still learning from failures like that Hmm. yeah well there we go the difference between those who make it and those who don't is usually two things number one is not giving up which is controllable and number two is often luck which is uncontrollable although I think there are a lot of things you can do that would increase your chances of luck like a lot of people seem more lucky than others and it's because of their behaviors so the first way to increase your chances of luck is just by not giving up if you've given up then it's very unlikely you're going to be lucky in that endeavor because you've already given up So I guess there's the time element there. But you can also put yourself in quote-unquote lucky situations. 
like giving yourself the chance to capitalize on opportunities or luck. Some people might call opportunities luck. But if you're in a good position to capitalize on those opportunities when they arise, like maybe you know someone that invited you to an event and then at that event you meet someone else who years later invests in your business. Is that luck or is that the fact that you took action to go and network with that person? Like there's a bit of both there. And obviously some people are born into more quote unquote luck than others. Like privilege, which is like probably the most overused word in 2020. But that certainly has an impact as well. The reason I'm highlighting survivorship bias isn't to be like, look, I know that, you know, this one person that you saw in the newspaper won the lottery, but there were also millions of other people that bought a ticket and didn't win the lottery, so there's no point doing the lottery. Or, you know, most startups fail, so you shouldn't even start a business. That is not the message I want people to take from this. But I do think being aware of it sets you up for more realistic expectations. And it also stops you beating yourself up when you don't become the next Jeff Bezos, 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 overnight. Acknowledging survivorship bias certainly doesn't stop me taking risks or aiming high, but it does soften the blow somewhat and give me more realistic expectations. And again, having realistic realistic expectations means that I'm kinder to myself. It doesn't mean that I'm lowering my goals or lowering my standards. I I am likely one of the most ambitious people you will meet. But being aware of survivorship bias means that that ambition is underlined with realistic expectations, which actually means that I'm more likely to reach my goals because I am less likely to feel disheartened and give up on them. And coming back to the two characteristics of successful people, the one that's controllable is not giving up. And I think acknowledging some of these biases is the difference between appreciating what you have and still striving for more and lack of gratitude and appreciation for what you currently have and always chasing more and never being content. And again, content doesn't mean settle. A lot of people think, oh, well, if you're content, you won't want anything else or you won't drive for more. It simply means that I'm happy where I am and this is an awesome place to grow from, but I still want to grow. It's the same way that I want all of you to approach self-improvement, as in I'm doing this because I love myself and because I deserve it, not because I hate myself and I won't love myself until I change. That's using shame to drive you towards your goal. And we know that that is not an effective way to motivate yourself. What is it Brené Brown says? Shame corrodes the very part of us that makes us believe we can change, or something like that. So instead of, I hate the way I look, so I'm going to diet, approach it as, I deserve to feel good in my body and so I'm going to change a few aspects of my diet. Instead of I quote-unquote should exercise because I ate a lot on the weekend, 
change it to I get to exercise because it makes me feel good and it's a kind thing to do to my body and I care about my long-term health. This time spent exercising is an investment in myself. My point about survivorship bias, because I've kind of gone off track there, is that no one is shouting about the diets that didn't work. You only hear from the people who got results doing keto, not the 99% of people that didn't and couldn't stick to it. People are far less open about, I'm going to say failures, but what they deem as failures, despite the fact that we would much, we're much more likely to learn from those failures. Or even knowing that someone else didn't get those results as well is quite reassuring. Like, there isn't a perfect diet. There are loads of ways you can do it. You haven't failed because keto didn't work for you. In fact, you're in the the very large percentage that it doesn't work for because it's unsustainable for you. But all we hear about and all that's promoted in the loudest voice is the ones that it's worked for. Like, no one's writing news articles about the millions of people that didn't win the lottery this week. No, they're like, oh my God, this guy from just down the road won the lottery. It could be you. Very unlikely. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up for this week. If you have enjoyed Tough Truths, I don't even think some of them were that tough. Maybe Emma's Observations. Observations with ESG Fitness. I don't know. You can come up with the name. If you come up with a good name, I'll use it. Stories with Emma Story Gordon. (laughs) No. Okay. Um, I will be back with part two if people message me and say they enjoyed part one. But if not, I'll come up with something else to talk about. And yeah, please keep sharing, guys. It's a massive help to me. I have just been doing some forward planning as well. And I'm actually going to bring the next commit to six intake forward slightly so it'll be right at the start of April so if you're not on the waiting list already get on the waiting list because I'm going to do very little talking about it on social media I'm just going to use the waiting list primarily because we reached our cap last time so that means I don't have to be salesy on social media and I don't really like doing it So make sure you join the waiting list and then I can just email people that are actually interested in signing up instead of spamming people that aren't. There we go. And you can join that on esgfitness.co.uk forward slash commit to six. And if you have any questions, just message me. Messaged? (laughs) Gee. (laughs) Just shoot me a message. Okay.